tired. So tired. Overtired. So welcome to Overtired. We are um, recording in the wake of a minor tragedy. Uh, last Sunday, we sat down for two and a half hours. We got we got like an hour into it and we're like, oh, hell, let's just keep going. Let's record two episodes at once. And we finished after two and a half hours. And I went and I got a snack and I came back and I started the editing process. And I did a thing where I moved the files out of the audio hijack folder and safely had them in my edit folder. And then in audio hijack, I clicked a button to delete sessions. And instead of moving the sessions to the trash, so it had like a bookmark on them, instead of moving the sessions to the trash, it just vaporized them. And two and a half hours of audio disappeared. And I was the only person who had all the tracks and we lost it. And we took a week to recover and we're back today. And we're going to record another marathon session that will be published in two episodes. And we have a special guest for both of them. So without further ado, I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm here with Christina Warren and our special guest, Jeff Severns Gunsel. How's it going, you guys? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I, I was promised a week off uh, because we <laughs> did so much work. So I'm a little. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I get it was devastating. Like, I, I, couldn't, you were I so couldn't even I couldn't even talk. I was so no, like, it was horrible. Plus, I, no, I, I had been so manic. Bad. I was like, like on two hours of sleep. It was awful. I was going to say that was that was the problem. Like, like um, you had been so tired. And so you were, you, you know, you, you did a great job. But like I could tell you were just like trying to keep it together. I and fell asleep. Like there was a point where I fell asleep, you did fall asleep. at about That's two right. hours and 15 minutes. You were like, Brett, we were like, Brett. And he was like, oh, yeah, hi. Uh, no, I'm here. But no, but, it, but, you know, but so I felt terrible because I was like, oh, man, like this was like rough for you. And then for I mean, we've all been there. Those things have happened. But it is yet another good reminder of just like how how much we hate computers honestly like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. well yeah and also like love, at, love hate at the the thing oh I, yeah the thing i felt bad about is brett when you kind of gave me a sense of how hard you were taking it i was like man that conversation was great for my mental health so i'm just glad it happened <laughs> yeah we're basically a, a, a therapy session yeah. We're a free a, th a free therapy session. I guess we get paid. You didn't get paid. That's all right. I got actually paid none of us got paid for last. I was going to say none of us. Yeah, did. I was going to say no one gets paid last week. Yeah. <laughs> so the the mental health corner last week. I will I will recap because I'm still in kind of the same position. Um, I I had I had made these big plans to switch from Focaline to Vivance because I had to get these bipolar mood swings under control like i used to have a, a a manic episode like once a year and for the last year or so i've been having them almost monthly and i i can't keep doing it it's it, it's not productive and i came to believe that focal was the problem so i think we talked about that in, a, in an episode that actually got published and i was going to switch to vivance it gets to be time for the refill i call in the prescription and my doctor is on vacation for three weeks. And they hand me over to uh, a, like a fill-in doctor to cover the script, but she refuses to make the switch to Vyvanse because my doctor didn't leave any notes about it. So I got another month of Focalin 
and immediately started having uh, a manic episode within a week. And it just, it further cemented the fact that I have to switch to Vivance. And um, it's been a long manic episode. I think like last night was the first night I slept well in since last Friday. So I'm pissed. I'm looking, I'm okay. So here's the thing I realized. Um, and I've, I've, I've kind of known this, but I finally admitted to myself, if I were smart, when a manic episode starts, I would stop taking the focaling, but I really enjoy focaling and I extend the manic episode by continuing to take the focaling. And the fact that I can't not take it if I have it means I'm addicted to it. And uh, so getting rid of it is my only choice. I can't tell my doctor that I might have like any kind of problem with it because that would right. preclude me being able to get any other stimulants. Yeah. Even though Vivance is way safer and can't be abused. Like I have to, I, I mean, it's easy enough to say I need to do it because it triggers bipolar. Um, yes. But yeah. I like, mean, yeah. But, but you can't be honest in that way. I mean, right. I mean, like if you had, it, I don't know, it, like I feel like my shrink, if, like if you've been with him for 20 years, like I have, it would be different. Yeah. But, but, you know, um, but it would, it would require such an established relationship for a doctor not to be like, okay, well, actually now this is a, an indicator of something that we cannot prescribe any of this class of drugs for because right. you have been honest. Right. About exactly. Something. I was, however, completely honest with Elle, telling her things that I've kind of known for months, uh, things that I've kind of realized, but really like explaining where where I stand with like addiction wise and everything. And we had a heart to heart. She was extremely understanding. Um, we, we made some plans to like find a new like therapist and everything. It's going to be good. It feels good to like have some secrets in the light, but it's been a rough couple of days, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, go I on. Just, it, this thing about um, sort of diagnoses and 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 honesty and all of that, like there's, I, I've really encountered this this past year in in both spheres, both with my um, psychiatric nurse practitioner, I take um, sertraline and Vyvanse. And, uh, and also then at home. And the problem I have is every time I realize how helpful it is to be a little more honest, um, whereas I might've been afraid to be in the past because I was afraid there'd be repercussions. Like what you said, Brett, like maybe they'd be like, well, you told us that Focalin's too much like cocaine. Well, we don't want to give you any stimulant, right? Like I'm so kind of like nervous about navigating those waters when I don't have a relationship with a professional that I think I end up also being just a bad patient because in general, I find myself sort of self-censoring and not at all in a manipulative way. Right. But just like that desperate feeling of like, I know what I want and that I actually want to be a partner in this, not just your patient. Right. Like Mm -hmm. nobody knows me better than me. Here's what I want to find is a therapist, not a psychiatrist but a therapist who understands neurodivergence who understands ADHD and bipolar who has also been an addict mm-hmm. someone someone who understands like current uh like the current understandings of addiction which have actually just in the last 5 years have expanded and grown um as well as treatment someone who could 
do all of that for me that I could just open up to because I didn't have to worry that they were controlling my my medication and the things that I need to function and just be brutally honest about like what I feel and what I go through. And I haven't found that person yet. And I live in a small town. And if I find that person, it will probably be a telehealth kind of thing. I was, yeah, I was uh, going to say, I was going to say, unfortunately, that might be one of those things. But, but I mean, this, this is one of the only positive things I think at all that has happened in, in, in the last two years is that it is normalized telehealth yeah. um, for a lot of things. And, and that's, I think, really opens people up, especially people like you who like live in small towns who don't have access maybe to a local supply of you know, a specialist, like, like what you're looking for, you're looking for a therapist who has experience with addiction, um, you know, personal stuff, um, which, um, not to say that, like, you couldn't maybe have that in a small town, but like the, the chances of it being someone who would be covered by your insurance and local to you and taking new patients and those other right. things, like, you know, it just becomes smaller and smaller. Whereas now, and this is also really good, you know, with like how your job situation and stuff has evolved, meaning you have like, you know, your your insurance situation is is a little more robust, although you had good um, <laughs> state insurance before, yeah. is that is that you have, have like a national network, right? Like this is like we have, I'm just going to go on a brief tangent just because healthcare stuff is so fucked up. Um, so at Microsoft, we have a couple of different options for like healthcare providers. And one of them is like a, a Kaiser, like HMO, which, you know, they offer it. And I'm like, why would anyone take this? Um, and then they have like a, a Blue Cross Blue Shield, like um, HSA and like a PPO, which is nationwide. And they will give you a certain amount and you have still like a certain deductible and like the company covers based on what they'll put in your HSA account. Most of what the deductible would be, but not all of it. Um, and then there is a local um hsa ppo for what they say is that the puget sound area but it's not really where they will cover even more of all of that and and kind of everything is covered the problem with that is that you have to live on the east side of seattle to really take advantage of the healthcare providers and and for people who don't know seattle is separated by like it's like people like call the area like east side and west side and and, and it's separated by um which one's the good side I mean, I think the west side, because because that's where I live, that's like where the city proper is, right? So if you were living in the actual city of Seattle, you're on the west side. But if you are living in the suburbs where people can afford bigger houses and, and well, Bellevue is actually quite expensive, but um, it, it's, you know, like the kind of like the snobby kind of like area of, of kind of the, you know, the the, the um, snobby urban kind of but mm -hmm. suburban area, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, like that, that's on, on, on the East side, but like, but Kirkland and, 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 um, uh, Redmond and, and Bellevue and, and, you know, um, Sahamish, these other things are all on the they East side. Like really white neighborhoods. Uh, I mean, those names are all Indian, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes. So, so is the town <laughs> I live yes. in and it is very white. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not wrong at all. I mean, well, well, white and, 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 uh, and Asian, I guess, which is, you know. Um, so, uh, but, but in terms of like, you no, know, Seattle does not have a lot of black people. Um, but the thing is, is it's like, okay, so you can have this better on, on paper healthcare plan, but only if you live on the East side, mm, because if you live on the West side, you can't go to like the, the hospital system or like the doctors there, like they're not part of the system. So it's like, 
anyway, that, that was my, that is a, I'm not really trying to belittle this. That's a real West side story. Like, it's just (laughs) like that that crazy ass, like how in the hell is this the thing that means that kind of determines whether you can or can't have this particular kind of coverage? No, exactly. Exactly. Well, to me, I'm just frustrated by it because I'm like, I, I would like this other plan. Um, but I am not willing to only go to doctors on, you know, the, the, the east side of town. Uh, if I live there, there'd be one thing, but I don't. So, you know, anyway, you, uh, which guys, is despite, sorry, go on. Have you guys ever done telehealth therapy? Yeah. Yeah. What, All of my what, therapy for the last three years. Like what's yeah, your setup? Too. How do you get comfortable on, on like Zoom? Like what's your room set up for that? Oh, I just do it over the phone. Oh. Mm, I do it on Zoom. I can't, I can't like a speakerphone or do you like sit back and do you- I mean, I have like head, I have like, I have like my AirPods or yeah. my AirPods max okay. on and I'm usually like in bed. Sometimes I'm in my yeah. office. Okay. That's just, what like, I'm chilling. asking. That's exactly what I'm asking. You're like, you're chilling out. You're, you're in a comfortable spot in your house. Yeah. I mean, I have done it. I think, I think I've done it like in I'm trying to think because, because with my strength before I ghosted him for a period of time, I even did it in New York. So I've actually probably been with him at this point. Tell wise almost as much as as I was with him um in person um there might have been a case where we might I might have been like on on an above ground subway right <laughs> because in New York <laughs> City no one no one gives a shit um uh and and there might have you know there were a couple of occasions where like if I couldn't find an appointment any other time where it was like okay I'm I'm literally walking around New York City or sitting on a park bench um again no one cares but in general uh, yeah, sitting in bed or sitting in my office, kind of kick back, relaxed with my headphones on. What about you, Jeff? Oh man. Okay. So two different things, two different experiences. So one, my therapist for a couple of years who, who retired like a year ago, who I just loved, but she was, she was older and not like super computer savvy. And, and in fact, did not want to move to telehealth even early in the pandemic, but was obviously open to it. And I spent the first, I'd say six or seven appointments doing it with her for the first <laughs> 20 minutes and you know how frustrating that can be and yeah. so like you may have entered in the right headspace but after being like no here's how i know it's your computer mic i can really hear your fan <laughs> and your hard drive clicking so mm-hmm. what i need you to do is you know and it's just she's like no nah. and then she'd go away and she'd come back she'd be like is this better you know i'd be like no it's not better and then there were two full appointments where i just decided not to tell her that the entire time i just heard <laughs> it's just the worst like that's all oh, you man. heard or you heard it was that from, no i heard her but from her machine i was hearing you, that you, you heard you heard the background thing oh, oh man and and she had just gotten a new kitten and so the kitten would yeah. jump onto the computer and then like the keyboard would fall down and she'd be like oh hold on i just don't know what to do i'm like oh my god i have things to talk about am i on the clock there um, is there is tape you are always all, on the clock that's the answer there's my, tape all over my desk to hold things in place when the kitten jumps up on it i've just amazing. i've accommodated the kitten my um my other one is not an official therapy relationship i i had worked on a project that required traveling to some really amazing remote places internationally with some really amazing people and doing essentially like retreats um and the woman who led those is a therapist or was a therapist in England and and is just on the verge of retiring, but doesn't really do that kind of work anymore. And anyway, I really loved working with her and I just wanted to be able to talk with her once or twice a month in in line with kind of what our conversations had been on these retreats and like the fucking Swiss Alps. And well, actually, we ended up on a sex cults land in California accidentally. But but anyway, 
this is totally different and it's amazing. So she is living in like a like 400 year old cottage in the, you know, like, I don't know where she is. She's in rural London. I mean, rural London. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Rural England. And she has to turn on a generator to do our stuff. She has no power Mm -hmm. there. And, and it's the most sublime experience. And she actually asks me to bring my computer monitor a little more close, a little, like a little closer so that she can feel like we're a little bit more looking at each other. Cause my, I have my monitor kind of high. And so she's really mindful of that stuff. She's like, I can't connect right now. Can you just try to bring that monitor down or whatever? It doesn't happen much, but how I pay her. <laughs> Benmo? I don't pay her. I send money to a man on death row. And it's someone that she's, that she, she had done a lot of work on death row in the U S way back in the day, um, like group therapy sessions. And it's someone that she's stayed in touch with and who I'm now uh, in touch with and have, uh, and building a relationship with. And, um, and so when I get done, I just go put money on his books and, uh, and that was the appointment. And he buys amazing paints and sends me amazing paints. Oh, I was going to ask, like, what if you knew what kind of stuff someone with no, I was like, obviously it's death row. He's never going to like have a savings account or anything. Yeah, and he's mostly in solitary too, so it's not like he's Oof. swapping stuff with people, right? Um, so, so it's yeah. I mean, so you just like put money in his commissary account, or yes. But there are those who who hear me say that and say that's the that's the best way to describe you, Jeff. That <laughs> I know that you love that interaction. And just like as background, I used to actually visit death row in Illinois as part of the Illinois Coalition Against the Death Penalty. So I'd like go to dudes' cells and ask them, you know, how things were, what they needed, how, you know, are you all caught up on your Maxim issues? I would get asked for Maxim a lot. Um, anyway, remember Maxim? Like, it's I like, do. it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, yeah, yeah. in fact, that, that'll be a great lead in to our next, uh, but speaking of maximum security. Mm. Uh, nice. Today's, nice. Today's episode of Overtired is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. Have you ever wanted to know what's happening at your home when you're not there? We're big fans of the new wireless outdoor camera system from Simply Safe. It lets you see what's happening outside right from your phone and alerts you when anyone approaches so you always know who's there. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your home safe, from entry and motion sensors to indoor and outdoor cameras. Simply Safe is monitored 24-7 by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. Simply Safe is less than $1 a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com overtired. That's spelled S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. I can't say monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash overtired and get your 20% off and your free indoor security camera. Mm, Interactive monitoring. Yeah, it does get a little tripped up in there. In the lost episode, we, it was mostly about the nineties and, and I would love, we can't fully recapture the magic. It was, it was an amazing that first hour of the chat. Uh, we we covered some stuff that 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if we recapture any of it, but I'm happy to see where this conversation goes. But I want to start it off by saying I got uh, the 90s by Chuck Klosterman and like the audiobook was released when when we recorded last week, we were talking about the potential of it coming out. Now I have it and I'm a couple chapters into it and it's amazing. Wait a minute. Do do me a favor. Just read me a little bit from the back so I can get my head in the space about this book. I don't I don't have that. Oh, you have the audiobook. I have the audiobook. In fact, Go ahead and just, it's I'm gonna bugging you to show me. me the back of your phone. It's like listening to Tom Robbins on an audiobook. Like there are all these sentences you want to highlight and be like, holy shit, that's just a great sentence. Um and and the the audiobook, you just you can't do that. And I kind of am thinking about also getting a paperback of it. Or at least a Kindle one I can highlight in. Yeah. I find that I do that a lot where I buy because I don't I, I Okay, as much as many physical things as I have in my life, the one area where I, I, unless there's no other choice because it's out of print or something that I've like completely cut out, unless it's like a really special book and like it has a reason to to be, um, you know, in in print. Like there are a lot of there's a lot of photography or something. I don't buy paper books anymore. I just don't. Um, I just don't have the space for them, and and it's one of those weird things. Like I still will buy physical media for certain things, but I I won't buy buy books. But I very frequently buy the the Kindle version and the Audible version for those reasons, because I like to be able to read both. So did you get the 90s? Yes. Yes. Did you start it yet? Um, I, I got through, like, I read, like, the first essay. Okay. Which one was that? Remind me. No, I don't remember. Now I'm going to have to look. Okay. I'm having so to open up. The one I was listening to last night was on Nirvana and, and uh, Pearl Jam as kind of a side story. But, yeah, yeah. Okay, go on. Uh, it was, it was, it's fascinating. He is, he is really good at capturing the 90s in a way that, like, I remember all of the things he's talking about, but I never thought about it. Yes. In this, like, he describes Gen X is really what the book is about. It's That's about really what the book is about. It's about Gen X. Disaffected, uh, apathetic uh, people who, if you told them, that they were apathetic, they their response would be to dismiss you. Like it's in 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 the process confirming that they are like apathetic, and that describes my generation really well. Yeah, and what's so interesting to me is that's not my generation, but it was the culture that I grew up obsessed with, right? Yeah. So so like it's this interesting thing because uh, we're going to talk about the real world. I think will be our perfect segues from this. Um and. Um, and, and, and the, the thing is, um, like, like I grew up like idolizing Gen X, but I knew that I was not in it. Right. Like, and I, and I knew that, that, that I, I, I knew it was a moment even as it was happening. Cause it was basically over. I would say like a lot of like that era of the nineties was probably over by like 96. Um, but like my formative years as like a little kid were just obsessed and like looking up and like idolizing this idea of, you know, in kind of this apathy and, and I loved it. And I think actually what separates like my generation, like the millennials from like Gen X is that I can't imagine that Gen X ever would have idolized or like been excited, <laughs> you know what I mean? By like a prior generation, right? Like, okay. Like so he does point out that 
In reality, Bites, the music that they most idolize is from the 70s. Yes, and which makes total m- sense. most of their kitsch comes from the, the 70s. 70s. Totally. Yes. And, yes. and that the 90s generation, uh, there were two things. That they, they wished it was still the 70s and that they made uh, um, an art form out of uh, not selling out, but selling out. Right. Yes. Which, which is, which is the thing that I, whereas my generation, there was never any qualms and there is even less for, for like the, the zoomers, like Gen Z, there's even less like worry about selling out. Like it's almost like it's, if anything, like you get your bag is, is the thing like get, get, you know, cap, like that is the whole thing. Like you're excited by selling out my generation. We weren't necessarily excited by selling out, but we accepted that it was going to happen. And we weren't like mad about it. Man, we whereas didn't, we didn't even, we weren't even able to fully define what exactly. selling you, out was you weren't right but you, anyone you who succeeded <laughs> anyone well, that who was succeeded, the thing right sold out anyone who succeeded but the one interesting thing and this is carried on and, and and i think that this is why like gen x has been so even though it's it was it's a it's the smallest generation it's it's in some ways kind of the briefest and, and it's people left call out it. of infographics all the time i was i was gonna say it's the forgotten generation but it's also even though it's left out of those things i think from a cultural level is one of the most impactful and and part of that I think is a that the the millennials who you know the biggest generation since the baby boomers like looked up and idolized and took that as their cultural cues right um, and and so it, it's had this this outsized impact but I think the other thing is it, you know it was smart in the sense like I would I think about this a lot and I think I've even written essays about this probably even in college I wrote essays about this which tells you how long ago it was was like the Gen Xers was were the first ones who really embraced nostalgia and the 70s thing is a huge part of that right yeah. like there was all the, the the recreation of the um 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 uh, what was it the the, the you know the it's i'm stuck. just built you no know, no no schoolhouse rocks you know <laughs> schoolhouse was, like, rock. that's right that's you know you know the, the the schoolhouse rocks things and and the covers of other you know 70s classics and like the kitsch element but there was like this this big wave of nostalgia and like well, embracing that and wanting to go back to that era and it's and in my Sorry, I was going to say it's nostalgia from the perspective that everything sucks now, right? And it was better. Not just like things were really fun back then, but like everything is everything shit was now, better. and everything was better before. And 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 with my generation, and and this is especially true, I think, even the generation after, but certainly with my generation, we all had this like faux nostalgia in the sense that we are nostalgic for shit that we never even experienced. So we're nostalgic for like it, it's like a manufactured nostalgia, and and which is why like millennial bait completely is, and 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 this goes to, to to Zoomers a little bit too, but like total millennial bait is stuff like the Saved by the Bell pop up restaurant that I went to in um, West Hollywood, <laughs> where they recreated the Max and the sets of Saved by the Bell, and you paid like eighty dollars or something, you know, wow. for your prefix dinner. It was great. And and I, I was very excited to get to go to to do it. I happened to be in LA early because there was a snowstorm in Seattle and I needed to go to Los Angeles uh to go to um uh, Australia. So I flew out a day early, went to Disneyland and then at at night like had like reservations at the pop up with my friend Donna. We went to the Max and then we um got on like eleven thirty PM flight to Sydney. So, uh, great, great, great trip. But, um, you know, but that's the sort of thing like where they're selling you back this, this stuff that you're, you're not even sure, quite sure what you're nostalgic about. Like, uh, I was reading this, this trend piece of all things, um, in the times the other day, uh, the American girl cafe in New York city, like 
influencer, like uh, old, like younger millennials, like people who were like in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s are going to the American Girl Cafe, not even ironically, but like excitedly and like bringing their old dolls mm-hmm. with them and then taking photos and are like very into it. And like, that's the thing. Like we have like this, like nostalgia oftentimes for for the past that that people can sell it back to us and we know they're selling it back to us and we will buy it and we will spend so much money to rebuy shit mm-hmm. from our childhood um but but it's not in the guise of like everything was better than which i think was the gen x thing it's like the oh my god i love this and i remember this kind of thing right yeah, like well, but- like gen x wouldn't gen x didn't want to be marketed to um, like they wouldn't, if it felt like someone was wrapping, packaging something and then right. selling it to you, that was totally. like, that was not cool. Right, right, right. Which, whereas like, yeah, like it still is. That's still part of my personality. Oh no, I, well, totally. I mean, so, and whereas part nine is I, I'm fully aware that I'm being marketed to you, but if it's cool, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I want it. <laughs> Jeff, did you ever see reality bites? I did not. I did not see it. I don't know why. It's okay. Um, so good. It is. Yeah, it's a sure. Very Gen X movie, but it was. It is. It was written by people who Rick- wanted to market to Gen X, and there's it the, was the essay. Chuck Klosterman's essay one. on it is it's awesome. Uh, he talks about how it. the the decision that Winona Ryder makes between Ethan Hawke and, uh, and uh, Ben Stiller and Ben Stiller for Gen X. Ethan Hawke was the right decision and Ben Stiller totally. was the bad guy for right. almost any generation before or after. And we're after it. She made the wrong choice. Right, totally. And and it's interesting because um Linda Linda Holmes, who does uh NPR's like a um a happy hour or whatever, like she wrote an essay, I remember, and she is Gen X. I remember she wrote an essay years and years and years and years ago um about that and like she was like lamenting you know, like she was watching it, I guess, more as an adult and was like, why would why would you pick Ethan Hawke? Um, but at the time, remembering that, like, she felt like Ethan Hawke was the only choice. And and my friend Heidi, who is Gen X, um, and uh, although she likes to think of herself as not Gen X, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Heidi, you are completely Gen X. Like, we've had this discussion, too, where, like, in that moment, in that time of her life, like, that's the only decision you make. Whereas, like, he's not, like, Ben Stiller, and Ben Stiller directed the film, too. I think he actually did a really good job with it. I think it was his first directorial um uh, film um and that that's when he thought that he was going to be a director and not like the superstar he became um like the character there's nothing bad about him you know he's not a villain but yet no. he is kind of portrayed as being like well it's to, safe. to gen x he's the definition of a sellout totally to oh, everyone else he's just a successful hardworking guy right to um uh my my, my favorite joke from that movie still is when um uh Jeannie garofalo's character points out that Evian spelled backwards is naive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I want to, I want to add a different sort of layer to this conversation about the nineties because last week, um, and now this conversation I'm listening to right now, like have, it's really stirred something in me, which is that there are these feelings about that decade. So I'm 43, I'm 43, I'm 47. Um, which I'm look, we've all lost two years, which I'm happy to be. I, my, my last year of high school was 1993. So like, right, right in there. Um, and the thing about nostalgia, that's kind of interesting to me ties to something Klosterman says he, he apparently sort of defines the end of the nineties as being, um, nine 11. And, and I actually think, you know, I had a ton of nostalgia for the seventies. We had an amazing, um, store here. We still do, but it's like a 
kind of a weird chain now, but it was called Ragstock. Oh my God. And you could go downtown and go to Ragstock or Uptown. And what they carried was tons of like surplus clothes. They carried the kind of clothes that probably now are likely to be shipped over to poor countries where you like see people wearing a champion shirt. They charged enough for them that it wasn't a Goodwill. But it created it. I'm, I'm, as a bit of a sideline, but it created such an interesting fashion thing for us. Cause while as like, okay, so whereas in Seattle, like we all started to identify Seattle with the flannel and the baggy jeans and all that right. stuff, right? Here, what was going on was basically dictated by what was for sale at Ragstock. And so Ragstock sent, like, Ragstock sold a bunch of army surplus clothes. So there were a lot of like camo pants. They sold a ton of scrubs, like, just like the regular old blue scrubs. And so like everybody I knew their pajama pants were like blue scrubs. Right. And like, it, it was such an amazing thing. Cause it was this one place they didn't have any other places. And it just dictated what like the nineties looked like until, um, until it really became about the flannel, the whatever. Anyway, that's like, you can just edit that out. Cause it's not even that interesting a sidebar, but what I wanted to say was the, um, the nostalgia for the 70s, similar to Klosterman saying that um, the 90s ended in, in on 9-11, like the 70s kind of began in 68 for us, yeah. not, not for the people who lived it, right? Like right, they us. still had two fucked up years to live before they could go turn the page, right? right. I mean, well, I mean, because a lot of people feel like the 70s started with, with well, I mean, maybe 68, but I would say, well, yeah, the war, I would say, but, but also, I mean, I, don't most people agree like the end of the 60s was like the, the Manson murders? I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I could see feeling that way. Like I wasn't, I was totally tuned into that. Um, but for me, it was like, it was like everything, the whole timeline of the seventies for me beginning in 68 was that it was about sort of a revolution going off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And, and, and that would, and I, and I think maybe like the final nail would be like, um, the, 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 the Manson, um, uh, murders. Um, I always also think about it and, and look, I mean, this was, you know, decades before I was born. So like, I don't have direct like impact or whatnot, but the, uh, uh, one of my favorite films is, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm, and, so that, good. and that film is a metaphor for the end of the sixties. Mm-hmm. I'll and have you know, I started watching that movie last week for like the 50th time. Did you finish it though? Because so it's it's a very different movie if you don't see the last <laughs> That's true. It is. <laughs> it's true, but I've seen it so much that it doesn't matter. <laughs> but but that, that came out, I just, I'm just wikipedia this. That came out in, in September of 69. And, and I'm certainly not the first person who said this, but like that film to me has always been like a metaphor for like the end of the 60s. Mm. So, you know, when yeah, do you totally. think the 90s started? Because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at album releases year by year. And no, I'll tell you. Okay, hold on. I'll, I'm just going to jump in on that with yeah, albums. Okay. I will say that it's very easy in the case of the start of the 90s for me to say it started in 1990 because everything that you use to sort of define the, yeah. the like cultural rejectionist like attitude of that starts in like 91 the the thing it's reacting against fucking peaks in 1990. Yes, yes, I I, I would agree with that, and I also feel like I mean because you could make the argument that it's the Gulf War that starts it, so that's 91. But I do feel like it's 1990. Also, like 1990, and 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 the and and to be clear, what's so interesting about the 90s is that the rejection aspect was really I mean it it, it was it's what people think about, and and it was like hot and bright, 
But again, it was over by 96, right? So it's really mm -hmm. only half the decade. Mm -hmm. And the other half of the decade goes hardcore into digital and consumerism and all the things that are the total opposite of, of really what that first half of the decade was, right? Totally. Um, Hip-hop, right? Like, like hip-hop and grunge could not be more diametrically opposed in terms of like what their what their values and celebrations are. And I love both equally. But like mm -hmm. if you if you look at it, like especially not that not that rap music didn't exist in the 80s, but it was different, right? So when you look at like like East Coast and West Coast battles and you look at like the 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 fact that they are now bragging about how much they have and they are like celebrating, you know, what what they're doing, which is again, they're celebrating selling out, right? Like which is complete opposite of 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 the grunge movement, but then that takes over culturally, and 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 that you know becomes like like my generation, people who were, you know, teenagers in in, in the the late nineteen nineties, like we loved the grunge stuff and we looked up to that, but we didn't have, you know, like like that that time had passed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was it was a different thing. We went into emo. We went into you know like 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 maybe like goth stuff. Like it was a different sort of thing. Um, but I feel like the beginning of like 1990, at least in my mind, I think you're right. I think it's 1990 is the starting point because like it, what happened in 91, as you said, was a rejection of that. But it was also similar to 2000, although it was 2001, I think is when the 2000s really started, where everybody, everything was, it's the 90s. Like, like everybody was excited about it. You know, like it, yeah. it was this, it was this brand instantly. It was the 90s, like instantly. Without yep. looking, what year did Pretty Hate Machine come out? 91? 92? 89. <gasps> Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I'm looking like the releases in 89 are this mix of things that I easily associate with the 80s and a bunch of stuff that if you ask me, I would assume came out in the 90s. Like Nirvana's Bleach was 89. Right. Faith right. No More, The Real Thing, was 89. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soundgarden's no, first album, louder or first single, Louder Than the Love. The Yeah, um, Little. Well, and yeah. all of that stuff gets vacuumed into the 90s because these are all the bands that signed with major labels and became exactly. huge. Exactly, and she became huge and became sellouts, but, but, but and then everybody <laughs> would lie. Um, I'm assuming they're all lying because they're because people always lie about the stuff. They're like, oh, I was listening to this when it was on that. I was like, no, you weren't. You didn't know. <laughs> it's like it's like I don't care who like unless you were an actual like like Chuck Klosterman probably listened to those bands before they blew up. But if you're you know what I mean? And, and like yeah. like people who were music writers and people who lived in those areas and could go to those clubs. But most of the people who became the most disaffected were like, oh, yeah, they sold out. I'm like, you didn't even listen to Nirvana until Nevermind came out. You know what well, I mean? Well, And like to to flip that only a tiny bit or to like reframe that a tiny bit for me, I was never super um, like in the moment, right. In like 90, 91, 92, 93, I wasn't really caught up personally in like the sellout thing because it just seemed too simple to me because what we know about bands and I was in bands from like eighth grade till I was like 23 is that they are groups of people who uh, don't operate very functionally, right? right? Who have like a real gift to do this thing. Individually or as a group, they don't operate. As a group and, yeah. and often individually. And often individually. <laughs> as a yep. group for sure. And that's, that's, it's the group that has to make the decision about, well, you know, Sony just came knocking, right? Or like whatever. And I just feel like those were people having to make some decisions that nobody had made a sort of, had, there was no pathway that they knew of to go from 
what Soundgarden was doing on like ultra mega okay to what Soundgarden was going to be doing when they're singing, you know, about the super unknown, right? Exactly. There was no, there was no way to know that transition was going to happen, but there was also no pathway to go from something so wonderfully ugly to the mainstream in the biggest fucking way. I still, I listened to cannonball by the breeders. Like I, Oh yeah. yeah. I remember that what and my I bad used them, to cover that song <laughs> it, and i it's watched two chords it's fun I, yeah yeah i just watched them um performing it on on mtv it was still early enough in the 90s that it blew my mind even as a fan that this band was so huge off of a song that starts by going it's just like and then goes and i still look back at those first like really big songs of that period and i'm like holy shit i know what i was listening to when that stuff came out i know what i jumped i know like what lily pad i jumped from to get on that lily pad and i cannot explain that jump it is fucking crazy no it is and and for me like i in my mind just because it was like the age when i really got into music or whatever was probably like 93 i would say um when i was like you know like like eight and and that was kind of like the the time when i you know that stuff like i remember like 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 the most standout memory to me about kind of like when things in my mind shifted was because i i listened to 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 pop music and 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 to stuff that wasn't great you know in like 80s stuff i my very first concert that i ever went to was paula abdul who you know what i love I love Paula Abdul, but you know what I mean? But Paula Abdul is very different from the other stuff. Like she had her moment and and then kind of, you know, faded out because there wasn't space for that in the period where she still could have been viable as as a recording artist. Um, but I remember seeing like the Smashing Pumpkins video for today and and that just like just the whole just the the juxtaposition between the lyrics and and when this how you know and and yet what the song was really saying in the music video and the whole thing like it just like got me and I was like similar to you know that the the the, the breeder song which is so just iconic like it's one of those most iconic like kind of baseline sorts of nineties yeah. things you know and and it just kind of blows your mind and and it is so interesting to look at um and we're gonna talk about this a little bit later I think but like when you look at like like the the hair metal era. And mm, and how that was, I was deep in it, and in that, and in a in a second, that went away, and and like I I missed out on on all the hair metal stuff, um, but but I watched enough behind the music. Nineteen ninety one, it went away, and yep, exactly. Well, actually, ninety two, when all those all those albums. No, you know when it went days. away. It was actually a very soft launch, the non hair metal metal days, because all of the like for lack of a better term, grunge folk had long hair. They and did. it was when they started cutting their hair that that truly died, I think. There was a yeah. there was a quote from Kurt Cobain about Eddie Vedder, where he, he said that Eddie Vedder was a hair metal guy, and then he stopped washing his hair and got famous. <laughs> Which is fucking brilliant and perfect right but but yeah but i don't know like but, but i remember like like bex loser and like the smashing pumpkins oh um, loser like, that's another great oh, example that was another that was another brilliant point that closer men made me realize that i never thought about was you had like in a short period of time radiohead declaring themselves creeps yeah uh, smashing pumpkins declaring themselves zeros and yep. like every like all the biggest hits within well, zero a year was later no, zero was ninety six, but yeah, but we're not oh, okay. But Within yeah. a decade, all sure. all the biggest hits seem to be about declaring yourself unfit. 
totally, mm. totally. Ooh, and, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. no. I, I'm done. Go on, go on. Well, I want to jump on unfit. I also want to point out that we are definitely talking about white culture in the '90s, right? Like, sure. Yes. Um, and, well, like and I said, like every, I said, when you like say the '90s, yeah, like hip hop is almost its own beast. When you talk about Gen X, no one thinks about hip hop. No, I know, and that, and and, and I think this is why I was like trying to point out, even though Gen X is definitely part of that, and and some people listen to it. Also, even speaking about white people, like you don't, and I'm, I don't, I haven't read his book enough to know. Like my sister was really into country music, mm. and uh, I mean she listened to oh, hip hop. Oh, Shania Twain was huge in the '90s. Yeah, late '90s, but but I'm talking like Garth Brooks. Yeah, Garth Brooks, like, 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 from uh, the like, ceiling. Yeah, like, like 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 I'm talking like 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 Garth's albums like sold like like you know Shania is unique. I mean she's she was like the Taylor Swift of that time, where you know I think it is still the best selling female album of all time. Is is um um uh, come on over like by. Uh, a ridiculous margin. It's like 35 million copies worldwide or something. Just insane. But um, but like Garth Brooks and 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 uh you know some of those other things, like that was like big. Um, but hip hop, you I, I think that like that started to shift probably in in also around 1990, maybe late 80s with with NWA and stuff. But then you really do see, like I would say it's interesting because that really I think like it's probably 93 or whatever year the chronic came out where where there's like a big shift there mm-hmm. okay. man uh, garth brooks the other thing about the 90s is if you had set me for most of the 90s if you had put me uh you know said here's a mark on the floor i want you to stand here and then garth brooks i want you to stand here and chris cornell i want you to stand yep. here so that they're on either side of me and you had to guess which one was my uncle you would definitely guess garth brooks right like i did not look except for long hair like right. this world i was fascinated with like totally <laughs> and, and and the chronic was was december of 92 so i was yep. close i just so. looked that up i was gonna i was gonna tell you like i knew um okay we we need to do another sponsor break and then i want to talk about pam and tommy before we end this part one i promise yep. we'll get to like real world reunion in the Thank you. in part two of this of this uh two-part episode we're doing <laughs> in the meantime if saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2022, and come on, I think that should be all of our goals, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. And so for people who are looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless, Again, just 15 bucks a month. And by going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. And all plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and you can keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And, uh, and, and Brett, I know that you're, you, you're excited about, about Mint Mobile, right? Yeah, I, so I've been back on... Can I say the name of the big, I've been back on Verizon for a year. And even after I have my, my phone, my current phone paid off, it's still costing me like almost a hundred bucks a month. And I am, I, I have a new mint mobile SIM ready to go. I'm porting my phone number and I am so excited to just be paying 15 bucks a month. I can buy so much stuff with all that money. It's crazy I it. that I ever paid that much. 
I love it. And so to get your new wireless plan for just 50 bucks a month, like Brett, uh, where you can save so much money and have so much more, uh, so much more room for, for, uh, for, for activities. Uh, to to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash overtired. That's mintmobile.com slash overtired. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash overtired. And you know what you can spend all that extra money on? What's that? Porn. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say candy and candy. I was, I was gonna say, I was like, and or Wasn't candy. There an album like porn and candy. Wasn't that like a cure album or something? It was no, it's sex and candy, and it was Marcy's playground. Uh, fair, nice job. I knew <laughs> I could count world, on you for that. The whole world is Marcy's playground. So, um, uh, which brings us to that was my lead in to talking about Pam Very and good. Tommy, which yes. we talked about last in the lost episode. Uh, but at that point, I had only seen one or two episodes. And my impression was that they they portrayed Tommy Lee as like purely an asshole. Sure, he's an asshole, but he's got that like ADHD energy and like uh, charm that yeah. wasn't coming through in their portrayal. And it became very obvious starting in the third episode that they set it up brilliantly so that you hated Tommy Lee enough that when his tape was stolen... You felt like it was justice. You thought he deserved that. And then before the tape goes like big and before it like could ruin his life, they turn Tommy Lee back into a sympathetic character. Like Pamela Anderson is always a sympathetic character in this. Yes. But yes. they make t they, they turn Tommy Lee into the bad guy before they turn him into one big gray area. And I thought it was brilliant. Hmm. You guys keeping up with it at all? No, I am. I am. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I, I. I think I'm. I think I'm through episode three. Um, uh, so I'm not like caught up, but but I but I am watching, and I think that's actually a really really astute observation. Is they totally did like make him more sympathetic and make it a gray area. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but I want to bring it up again. It is interesting to me how they have just, and and I wonder if it's a political thing that at this point that this age there's no way they could portray her as anything but sympathetic. Um, but it is interesting. Like she is, she is, she's got like the most sympathetic portrayal ever. And, and to be clear, like, I don't think she did anything wrong and I don't think he did anything wrong. So, so part of this, I have to like adjust my own, I guess, um, like, you know, like uh, opinions and, and, and expectations and other things in biases, because now I think of the two of them, he's still like kind of a jerk and kind of a guy, but like, he's actually a lot seems a lot more stable and a lot more together than she does. You know I what I mean? I haven't kept track. Like, I, okay. So when that tape came out, I knew very well who Tommy Lee was. I had heard of Pamela Anderson. I never read the playboy. I never, I still have never seen an episode of Baywatch. Like I didn't right. know anything Your about boss. Pamela <laughs> yeah. Anderson. So whereas, whereas I was the exact opposite. I knew exactly who she was. I had and no I idea. And I certainly don't know what she's like now. Yeah, she's gone like way, way far into like conspiracy theory stuff. Oh, like boy. she was like she was like uh, visiting Julian Assange like in jail oh, all the time. Like okay. like like not in jail, but like um, at, at when he was in a asylum when he was like no no when he was at the embassy the the the, the embassy in in London like he was in that uh, yeah, room okay. for in years. Oh yeah, in Equ yeah the Ecuadorian yeah. embassy where he was like using all their internet and costing them yeah. like yeah. like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, she was visiting him, but she's gone like way off the deep end. And and he uh 
is a he's got like a younger white girlfriend or whatever who I think is younger than some of his sons, which is the least surprising thing I think yeah. you could say about Tommy Lee. Like, of course he does, but but he seemed at least out of the two of them. Like, I actually find him more like normal now. But at the time, obviously, he was like the bad boy. And, you know, he'd had like the the high profile relationships before. And then she was never America's sweetheart. Also, she's Canadian, but <laughs> she was like, which is so which is so interesting. Like, it, it, I think for a lot of people, it is interesting. Like, she's probably one of the most quintessential American, like, you know, like icons, you know, in terms of like women and, and like of the, of the 90s and that sort of thing. Right. Like if you if you were to think like all American, whatever, like Pamela Anderson would probably come to mind. She's freaking Canadian. Um which I, I I don't know. I just love that. But she was like, uh, so her star was so on the rise, right? She was huge. Um, I, uh, I I talked to you both about this before. Like, Brett, you weren't aware of her, but 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 Jeff, like you definitely like knew like the the Pamela Anderson like Playboy stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because my mom had gotten me a subscription. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and I, and it was Baywatch, and there's something else she did. Oh yeah, she was uh, on uh, Home Improvement. She oh, was, yeah. she was, right. She was now, and honestly, like much as I like to identify with like heavy metal in those days, and 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 maybe even like a guy who has Playboy in the drawers under his waterbed, but like honestly, uh, Home Improvement was where I found the most personal. <laughs> yeah, you. It was uh, what, what? What was the name of um of uh, uh the 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 guy who was who was who was his partner? Um. Oh God, Richard Richard Kind I think is is the actor's name, but but uh, yep. um I can see his beard. Um, this is you can totally me. see his beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like he, he was he was the guy who looked like Bob Vila, and then like um uh like like Tim Allen, you know, was was uh the other thing. Okay, this is bothering me. This is I, I know I'm looking it up too, and I got Home Home Depot as the first uh, response. Oh, Al. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, right. uh, and it's not Richard Kind. Richard Kind is a much better actor. It's, it's Richard Karn. Uh, okay. uh, uh, apologies to, to 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 Richard Kind, who uh, was on um, another great '90s sitcom, Spin City. Um, nice. But uh, Bill Lawrence. Um, if, if you, I'm just going to go on my ADHD like Wikipedia tangent. Uh, Spin City begot uh, Scrubs, uh, which uh, then um, begot um, some of the other things, and, and most recently um, Ted Lasso. So. Um, but anyway, but, but, but oh Richard. yeah, right. Oh God, he's so good. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. Also, so, do you know? I mean, I I didn't realize this exactly, but since we're talking about the '90s and when to cap it and start it, Home Improvement ran from '91 to '99. Yeah, that's true. We, Perfectly it encapsulates. Be, it, it could just be the Home Improvement generation. Honestly, <laughs> you really want to come back to it. It could, it could just be the Home Improvement generation. Um, no, not not to get too far down into that, but I will say like one of like the icons of my childhood and like like uh, the the first like teen like the one of the poster children like 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 um I guess like teen stars of the '90s was definitely Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Mm. Um who um, uh, kind of disappeared and whatnot, but he, his face was everywhere for girls my age. And, um, it, and, and then, then he pissed him Allen off and like left the show, like the last season, he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go to college. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but back, back, back to like non children, like stars, uh, Pam Anderson and, and, and Tommy Lee. Um, have you been watching, um, Jeff, have you been watching the show I, at all? Do you know what? I, I am having the hardest time deciding if I can watch it because I, I had such a, I identified somehow 
so hard with those guys as an entity, that band as an entity, True. even though they were fucking like, yeah, Motley Crue, even though they were completely like despicable humans, but like, whatever. It, so was everybody I loved as it turns out. Sure. Right. Um, and, and so like, and Tommy Lee, I was a drummer. Tommy Lee was a drummer and I like, I like Tommy Lee. I, I was like a drummer that felt like maybe he, he's worth being a little more in front than, than most drummers. Right. I mean, well, I didn't, he was, he was the star of the band, right? Like, in yeah, front, yeah. In and front like, and upside down. I didn't and in so a, far. In a yeah, let's hammock. talk about, and actually, so I just want to. This is, this is a man, just for anybody that doesn't know what Tommy Lee was like without a talking penis. Um, <laughs> basically, like, this was a man who already was, like, the star of the show, even when all it was was a regular old stage, right? Like, he was one of those drummers that, like, stood up so tall between his drum parts that it's almost like he was desperately saying, like, I'm back here, you know, like, don't forget me. And right. and he turned that into an entire fucking crane lift system that would take his drum set in a cage up into the sky over the crowd. And then I watched a video of this this week. So it's it's the it's such bad showmanship. Actually, in the videos, when you see him going upside down and stuff, it's super cool. Right. Because it's like all quick cuts and and it just seems like everything's so energetic, basically like. He's like sitting, he has to strap in. So he has to have seatbelts. He has to have like a, right. like a trucker's not chair, obvious, right? Yeah. Seat. And he, right, not obviously. And then he has over the shoulder seatbelts, right? So that when he tips to the left or the right, or when he goes upside down, he doesn't like totally fall over. Right. And so he basically like, there's this big moment where he comes out over the crowd, but then he just tells the dumbest fucking story to bring everyone in to what's happening, which is basically this. And with about this much energy, Hey, everybody. So the other night, man, I had a dream and I was on stage and it was awesome. And you guys were there and there was just like this thought I had, which was like, man, what if I could go just a little bit to the left? And then the thing goes to the left. He's like, and what if I could go just a little bit to the right? You know, it's like goes to the right. And then he's like, literally says the, the most important words of the late eighties, early nineties, fucking choice. <laughs> and then, and then he keeps coming back to the dream and, and he keeps playing drums while he's doing this and not well, like he's what a are good we drummer. Watching? What are you talking about? This is a YouTube video where you can watch. This is my own dream. I'm telling Throw you this in the show it. notes. I will. So, so then it's time for him to spin around. Right. And for some like fireworks to happen. And so he's like, and then I thought, man, but that's cool. But like, what if I could go all the way around and, and predictably what happens when he's going around is that you start to notice that like cocaine Jack Daniels and being upside down does not make for that <laughs> good of drumming. <laughs> like there's only so much in your grab bag that you can even reach when you're upside down. And, right. and, and he doesn't actually do anything to make it exciting. It's just like you all came to the concert knowing he's probably going to go upside down because you saw the video and you're waiting for it to happen and it's happening. And it's literally just a guy going, and now I will go to the left. You know, but like with a little more something. So anyway, that's Tommy Lee. He was incredibly charming. He had that like that like devilish smile where you're like, I'm totally going to hang with this guy and he's totally going to fuck me. And he's totally going to be like, hey, man, uh, could I just crash on your couch for a little bit? And I'm like, I'm totally going to hit myself tomorrow, but it's going to be totally. awesome right now. He's that guy. Totally. And you're like, I don't care because I love him and he's fun. Right. Yeah. And and I don't. 
And I don't know that I want to ruin that very specific sense because it's the one thing I hold on to that I appreciate. Because I look back on all the videos, like I, I was talking in the last episode about banned home videos in the late 80s and early 90s, where like they would release a VHS, like basically documentary, though it's a little bit of an insult to the form, uh, whenever they'd request, whenever they'd release an album. And you'd be like, it'd be like a little bit in the studio and like they'd give the dudes cameras sometimes. And sometimes it would be staged, you know, and like, but you kind of got to look at that, right? Like you kind of got a sense for, it wasn't like the real vulnerable them. And I certainly wasn't asking for that and would have right. been fairly disappointed had I gotten it. Um, but it was like this, this like look into what it's like to be the thing that I wanted most to be, which was a rock star with long hair. Right. And I, and I got so much out of those videos that like, by the time 98 rolled around, I had already like put all that shit away in a drawer. I decided what Motley Crue meant to me and I'd put it away in a drawer. And so I didn't even watch the sex tape. And for that same reason, I'm not sure I can watch the show, even though I really want to. No, Sorry, I, I, that was a long. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I appreciate it. And it's, it's a good answer. And and you mentioned you never even watched the sex tape. And Brett, you never watched it either, right? No, never. OK, so I'm somehow the only one. You've seen <laughs> like the most famous the sex one, tape of the all time. The one woman in the group is the only one who's seen the pornography. 100%. Well, no. And, and again, like, I think, you know, because it was like this, you know, this, this moment where um, I think most people saw it like on video, but but a lot of people did download it. it. You know, Internet was still slow then, but it was like the first time where, you know, like codecs and stuff existed where you could take this low resolution, like home video footage and and potentially up, upload it in like postage size stuff and, and then download it. I'm pretty sure I saw it at somebody's house. Uh, somebody's dad probably bought it. Um and 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 we watched it or like, like mom, late at let's night. Let's not be sexist. I mean, I'm just being like realistic <laughs> in this case. Like, I I, th I think that it would be it would it would be yeah. a dad who would buy it, yeah, even though even, even though the interesting thing with the the sex tape is that it, it's verite. It, it's uh, we we talked about this in uh in the last episode, but the like the sex tapes that came after it are all much more aware of the camera. Yeah. And and I and I, I have a feeling it's because people had more kind of an idea that like either they might rewatch it again or, you know, even in the back of their mind, this might somehow be released well, and or video, something. Video cameras were home, like personal video cameras were kind of a novelty at at the time that the sex tape was made. 100%. So like no one was experienced with this is how you act when the camera's running. Although exactly. Cam probably understood cameras pretty well. Like, I mean, yeah, he did too, right? Both of them sure. did. But 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 I think that it was like a it was very much of a these were home home movies. This yeah. wasn't a, a people who had just gotten together, just gotten married, were like in that 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 height of like they're like, we're in love and we're fucking like bunnies and, and we're capturing this because we have a camera here thing rather than you know, we're we're making like a sex tape that we'll rewatch. Like it it, it views as because I rewatched it. Um, a couple of years ago, and and it struck me. I was like, yeah, you you view it, and you're like, you would never. This this reads as footage that people recorded. They were probably never going to watch again. Um, and and because of that, you know, it there is a uh, quite a quality to it that if you really think about it, like is is really kind of sad and kind of exploitative because it's like this was stolen from them. This is a crime. Um, and and the show goes into that and. Uh, but but it's one of those things where it's like it does feel very personal in a way that most of those things don't. So there is an interesting thing in, in that aspect. Yeah. yeah. But okay. from from 
But from the sex perspective, it's mostly his dick. Like, honestly, like what that's what you see, which is a perfect segue into. OK, so in the, Wait, a perfect segue into what into into prosthetic <laughs> penises, because in the oh, last God. episode, we spent a good chunk of time on prosthetic penises. And I was tired enough that I don't remember it. However, all the show notes and descriptions I already have written up are pretty heavy on the prosthetic penis. So yeah. I just I want to keep the the show notes as much as possible so we have to at least mention can i that, can i say my favorite line from that discussion but go ahead hey, sorry yeah. sorry well okay no so I, 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 I got I, it i got it no seriously i got it i got okay. it ready my favorite my favorite line you said it you said when the penis started talking that's when i knew it was a prosthetic sure <laughs> yeah yeah and then we talked about how like boogie nights i never realized that was a prosthetic and we talked about porn star or uh, like we talked about how movie stars like don't all have big dicks i remember the i remember the gist of the conversation but just for clarity in the first uh episode one or two of pam and tommy tommy lee is standing in front of the mirror and his dick is talking to him with Rafi's voice, with uh, Jason Mansuka's voice. Wait, and Rafi? Rafi from The League. Uh, not yeah. Rafi, the children's sake. No. Yeah, I had the that, same thought. When, that, would be, um, that would be even weirder. Yeah. But the webisode. But it, it, the, 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 the penis is moving around and like, it, 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 yes, it's clearly not a real penis. And there's a link in the show notes. Uh, it's called Prosthetics, Animatronics, CGI, and Jason Mansukas, How Pam and, Pam and Tommy Made a Penis Talk and Shimmy. So if you want to know more, you can go there. But if we have anything further to say, please take it away. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just interesting, like, that, that again, like, the real guy's, like, dick is, like, you know she's so famous like for being naked and they're certainly part of that but like really the whole thing with this is really in in weird ways like the whole iconography of the tape is like his giant penis what if what if he had a micro penis and the tape was how the world found out because oh, as it is the tape was if you like net benefit probably good for tommy and bad for pam but, uh, yeah, probably. I, although it's interesting, right? Because I mean, at this point, she's Playboy. She's known for being play, Playboy, and she's known for being that's Baywatch. That's true. That's true. And 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 so at that point, and and I'm not again trying to say that like there is no difference between like you know like pornography and um like you know taking like nude photographs in Playboy or 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 whatever. But like she was known for her body. She was known for that. She was trying to break into actual mainstream acting roles right Barb i don't wire. know if this yeah which i i don't know if it helped or hurt i mean i think honestly the thing that hurt is that she's not a, she's not an actress right <laughs> yeah right well i mean no that just being honest right because like yeah. like, like like jenny mccarthy i always you know and again she's gone off the rails in, in other ways too but like jenny mccarthy was actually funny and like actually had a lot of talent speak we're going to talk about the mtv in our next episode but like jenny mccarthy actually who was she was the other big like playboy person of that era like she actually I think, like, I remember the Jenny McCarthy show, which was, like, her sketch comedy show, which was quite good, honestly. Like, it... it uh, I seem I to remember that, liking that, yeah. Honestly, I think the Jenny McCarthy's problem, which is the opposite of the Pamela Anderson problem, is that Jenny McCarthy is is talented enough that it doesn't match with what she looks like. Mm -hmm. So you don't expect someone who looks like her to have the comedic sensibilities that she has. It just doesn't compute. 
So so that's the problem. Whereas Pamela Anderson, if she'd been a slightly better actress, could have, you know, maybe done like more with it. But I, I, I don't know, like if it was a, a net negative or if it was maybe neutral, but I definitely think it was a net positive for him, for sure. There's a, thing. OK, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was uh, going to I was going to try to, like, bring us to an end of the episode. I, but I, if you oh, have man. more to say, absolutely do it. Uh, just a little bit, but I also would really love to point something out very different about the 90s before we're closed, just because it, it feels like um, it feels <laughs> weird not to bring it up. Yeah, you're really you're going to regret that when I tell you what it is. Um, so but first of all, it, you know, the thing about Tommy Lee being like a front man instead of just a drummer, like I didn't realize this until I was just looking again at the celebrity sex tape list, which I learned a lot from last week, it, like. The next sex tape that she was in was with Brett Michaels, the singer yeah. of Poison. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I put singer in quotes. Right. Like <laughs> he was hot uh, though. He was super hot. He was no, named for Brett. sure. And you know what? That was I was in love and with him. I that. gave him something to believe in. Yeah, yeah you I, did. You did. No, I have to say, like, he was one of those, like, I didn't find most of those guys attractive at all. And and again, this was one of those things I wasn't aware of him until way after like he was he was big and i remember but i remember again like watching and like him on like vh behind the music and before they gave him his own like uh um a flavor of love type show or whatnot and i was like okay i realize you're wearing the durag because you're you're bald i'm sure and you've got the long hair but he was like he was he was cute um the one who's actually and still had like hair uh would be what was it um sebastian bach yeah was sebastian bach oh he was he was beautiful who was like, in genuinely. my opinion the best of the hard rock singers Oh, amazing. Frustratingly homophobic. Yep. But like his voice, like Skid, especially like the 80s version of Skid Row, but even Slave to the Grind, like he, he really, he embodied hard rock singer for me. Yeah. And then, and then he wound up and again, like I became more aware of him. I think again, like I first was aware from like behind the music or something. I was like, oh, you're, you're attractive. And then he wound up on the Gilmore Girls. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he was in um uh, uh um Rory's best friend um uh, Lane is in uh, a band and uh with, with with the guy that she winds up marrying and one of the the other like band members is Sebastian Bach who plays like a completely you know just kind of like a a cool kind of like you know wow. um a guy but he's not playing Sebastian Bach like he's just playing kind of like a normal kind of like band dude. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Which which was actually kind of great. And he, yeah, had yeah, a, yeah. he had a drummer named Rachel or not a bass player named Rachel who wasn't a girl. Mm -hmm. I spent years of my life. This is back in the 90s when like you couldn't just look shit up on the Internet. Right. And you just you ran with assumptions. And that was one of the things Closerman talked about was like nobody had a record like the, Nelson Mandela didn't die in the 80s, but it was a generally accepted fact that he did because the internet wasn't a thing anyway anyway um okay so i i can close this out using uh, a little bit of what you just brought up which is that you couldn't look it up on the internet right like one thing that one line from that book that i only know from a book review from the clusterman book is like this this repeated almost mantra like the internet was coming the internet was coming mm -hmm. the internet was coming and when i especially with two teenage boys right now, when I look back on on that time, you know, the 70s, to talk about the 70s again, it felt like you could touch the 70s, right? right. 
but it doesn't feel to me like I'd be able to feel like I could touch the early 90s because that was a completely different fucking world. From the time right. you woke up to the time you went to bed, everything you did with your fingers and your Everything's eyes different. was different, right? Totally. And yeah. And I have one other point about that, but I don't I don't want to get in the way. I want to hear what you're saying. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. I, I, I want to hear you in that thought. Oh, I think I was going to add because I looked this up just in this complete non cycle door. Uh, uh, Sebastian Bach has apparently uh, rethought hit the homophobic lyrics in uh, that Skid Row song and has changed them. And he's even like walked out of interviews when people have. What like, about the eight kills fags mm. dead shirt? That oh, was he, the big. That was the first one. Yeah, and I and I think that somebody gave that to him. I think that like I don't he's, care. He wore it to like an award ceremony. I don't think he wore it. I think I think I think that somebody gave it to him and he was photographed with it. I don't remember the details. Anyway, I'm I'm not trying to like defend the guy. I'm just no, but that's that's it's up. That's it interesting like in context, one. right? Because like you, uh, I would hear about that kind of stuff from MTV News. That's the right. only place I'd hear about it. And so, if anything changed, MTV News was often not following the beat of Sebastian Bach for more than like six months, you know. And anyway, I wanted to just on a on a sober note, and on a the internet is coming note, and on a oh my god, I can't believe this happened note on march 7th 1991 the video of rodney king being bitten beaten oh, yeah. by police was recorded yes. another way to say that is on march 7th 1991 rodney king was beaten by police and it just so happened yep. that a plumbing salesman and amateur videographer was yes. in view from his balcony and pulled out his camera and recorded it Bam. and and for me i mean i thought about that a ton when George mm -hmm. Floyd would, was killed and we were always talking about how what's changed is that there's the internet and you can see it. And I'm like, no, man. No, no, we saw it. This started I, in 91 and that I was, was going to say. Right, but everyone was, was actually watching network news at that point. I know, I, but I'm saying. But it wasn't so, just network news. It was, it was everywhere. It was, it was hard copy. I remember like, I mean, again, I'm like, I'm like seven years old and I remember watching that and seeing it all over the place. Like, Yeah, and like for me, what's so remarkable um, what's so remarkable about it. First of all, I have a photograph. My mom used to go out of town a lot and I would move my drums down into the living room so I would watch TV while playing my drums. <laughs> and I actually have a picture of the beating being aired um, that you can see my two toms in the foreground. And then over that is the TV with the video of um, King being beaten. It's just like, and, and, and what's so incredible to me now is that there was obviously no internet, right? And like you were just saying, Christina, like it was on all the TV shows, like it hit that kind of international like mm -hmm. attention mark really fast and not not just when the riots happened of course it right again then but just the fact of this man being beaten that way and tased that way in this kind of grainy footage was enough even all the way back then with no internet to like really grab the attention of the world i mean mm -hmm. it amounted to not a lot but but to me, I, I actually, that is the start of the 90s. Like We talked a lot about popular culture in the 90s, and, and I think that's totally appropriate as a way of assessing the decade. For me, it was like the Gulf War. It was, Rodney it was Rodney King. It was, you know, it was watching all of these different kind of things play out often in the, often, and often the commentators were sort of the people who had been radicals in the 60s and 70s. And right. so it actually kind of like tied all that stuff together, you just saw all these like civil rights leaders that were still alive, but just looked a lot older and, and kind of, you know, whatever, but it like tied everything together without the internet somehow. Yeah, <laughs> right. no, hey, I, mean, I think, yep, somehow. We, we gotta, we gotta find an, a split point for this. This is our split point. Jeff, how would you feel about doing the last sponsor read of this episode? 
Oh no. Do you want to? Uh, let me look at like who I feel it like is. you need to earn your key. <laughs> it's, oh, it's text expander? Yeah. Hell yes. Tell us about text expander, Jeff. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I'm reading this blind, but I it's gonna be easy to put my my uh my yeah, passion. Put some into spin it. on it. <laughs> In our fast-paced world, things change constantly. 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 And errors in messaging often have significant consequences. Consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. Accurate. Get your your message right every time. Expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent. Oh my God, do I use this? Uh, With just a few keystrokes, keystrokes, keystrokes. Your team members will always have the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. Overtired listeners get 20% off their first year. Uh, If you visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about text expander let me read that line again because i was just confused that it said podcast (laughs) yeah so they used to have individual urls for every show and they just said fuck it yeah and now it's just text even even when they uh do sponsored posts on my blog the link is still textexpander.com slash podcast let me sell text expander for a second and then I'll re I'll redo that overtired listeners thing. So uh, uh, all of the stuff is great. Keeping your team in line, whatever that stuff is something that's kind of become more of, of their messaging in the last couple of years. I've been using this thing forever and ever and ever since the very beginning. And the thing that it did for me that I really notice when I clean install a computer and have it installed text expander yet is I have a tendency when I capitalize the first letter in a sentence to also capitalize the second one. I also have a tendency to scatter uh, semicolons where they don't belong. You title Um, case while you're writing? Title case while I'm writing. Am I an animal? It's uh, it's it's artisanal uh, title casing. You All know right. what I mean? Like it's got that. It's got. It gives you that kind of connection to the creator. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, you could just, all you have to do, if you only use it for this, just put a long list of all the shit that you spell wrong, that you often like kind of the the typos you always, you always make the like places where you always put like an extra something, make them a list so that they're their own trigger when you type them that way. And then it automatically corrects it and you don't look like a jackass. Overtired listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Hey, that was a great episode, you guys. <laughs> yes. In the next episode, next week, for everyone except for us, it'll be like in five minutes for us. But <laughs> in the next episode, we will actually introduce Jeff so people know who the <laughs> fuck he is. Yep. And and we will we will bring you more exciting pop culture. We'll, we're going to do a little nerd talk and uh, best best part more sponsors and different sponsors you're gonna love it stay tuned in the meantime get some sleep jeff get some sleep christina get some sleep jeff get some sleep brett get some sleep y'all get some sleep but only like five minutes because we gotta start the next episode (laughs) the system is going down low